the worship of God has been replaced by the worship of self. <laughs> Yikes. So theology has been replaced by a meology mm. where individuals base their their decisions, their agendas, their truth. All of that has taken precedence over the preeminence of God, over the preeminence of Christ, all while professing Christ at the same time. And that's why I'm saying it's it's spiritual warfare because you have a lot of people who are deceived. We love knowing and keeping secrets. It makes us feel loved. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel valued. But that is the best kept secret. We are loved by the creator of the universe. This season, we are coming together with some of the most confident women that you will ever meet to discover the secret to moving beyond insecurity. If it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out, then Queen, we've got some work to do. Let's get to it. Hey y'all, it's me Liv and oh my goodness, do we have a conversation today? (laughs) I am not going to spend a lot of time as it is our last episode of the season and I need y'all to get into this episode because woo. My guest came through and brought the fire. Do you hear me? (laughs) Uh, It has been such an honor, such an honor to sit with you during this time, this season. And it is my prayer that you would be blessed by any part of the conversations that we have shared during any part of this season. The podcast will be back in February and y'all, I cannot wait to continue to introduce you to the women whom we have coming up. As we prepare to get into this conversation, I just want to read John chapter one, verses one through 13 over us today. I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, if you'd like to join along. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about that light, so that all men might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. 
He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Today, as we continue to celebrate this Advent season in preparation for Christmas, I hope that you feel a renewed passion to enjoy intimacy with the Lord. This conversation does that for me. This conversation ignites a spark within me. And I know that it is going to do the same for you. Kanina Rutley is a missiologist, mobilizer, humanitarian, speaker, Bible teacher, and worship artist. After answering the call to full-time ministry in 2013, she has had the privilege to work alongside multiple global Bible translation, engagement, prayer mobilization, and evangelism initiatives. She currently serves as the new global manager of prayer mobilization at Seed Company, a leading Bible translation organization, part of Every Tribe, Every Nation Alliance, working to engage every Bibleless language across the globe with scripture. Prior to Seed Company, she served as the Director of Intercultural Prayer and Missions for the National Day of Prayer and on the American Bible Society's inaugural prayer mobilization team. She is also the founder of She Saves a Nation, a global nonprofit and disciple-making initiative that empowers displaced girls in Africa and Asia to become leaders and agents of change within their nation and around the world. Kanita serves as a global missions mobilizer, rallying the church toward the Great Commission call, engaging marginalized groups to take their place in God's global mission and equipping missionaries to proclaim the good news to the nations. As an evolving African-American female missiologist, Kanita has become a voice on global missions mobilization on several podcasts, seminars, and missions platforms. Kanita is currently pursuing a Doctor of Missiology at Fuller Theological Seminary. She is recently married to her beloved husband, Minister Ryan Rutley, and they are proud parents of two daughters, Ryan and Kirsten. Kanita is a disciple who carries a passion to equip the church to understand God's word and his mission in the world, becoming mature believers desperate to know God and determined to make him known. Will you please welcome our guest, Kanita Rettler, with me. All right, y'all. 
I just can't even contain my excitement right now. I am so, so excited about the conversation that we're going to get into. I got to enjoy just soaking up all the goodness that we are about to get in this space on this podcast right here for a whole weekend recently. And Kanita is just incredibly anointed. So y'all better get ready. Sis, how are you? Just, I'm wonderful. I'm just excited. I'm ex more excited to see you. I mean, oh. just being able to be in your presence, that was just a divinely ordained moment for us. And I am still feasting on that. Yeah. It's just been incredible just getting to know more about you and seeing the powerful ways that the Lord is using you. So uh, this is a fangirl moment for me. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you are so sweet. And y'all, I, I didn't already read the bio. So <laughs> y'all, <laughs> you know who we're talking to. That is just so ridiculously sweet. I appreciate it so very much, sis. Yeah, I, I know we're going to learn so much from you. And I mm -hmm. am just ready to get into these questions. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. I mean, talk as, as much as you choose to, because we want you to bring us through. <laughs> Yes. How on earth did you cultivate this heart for missional living? And how mm. did you come into your current work with the Seed Company and She Saves a Nation? Because your story is just vast and there's so many nuances. So oh we goodness. want yeah. all of the details. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, when I share about my story, I oftentimes go back to the fact that I am the product of generational obedience, uh, not perfection, but faithfulness. I am the product of what I call an anomaly. My father, he never knew his own father. His dad was murdered when he was three. And he was raised in one of the poorest sections of Philadelphia, was not raised in a Christian home or environment. And then he goes on to study at a historically Black college university, Cheney University in Pennsylvania, where he encountered God for real. I mean, he had had experiences before. He had gone to church before. He had done the religious thing before. But he had experienced God in a very real and tangible way when he was an undergrad by the obedient and just passionate influence of a woman named Norma Anderson. And this woman, we are just so indebted to even today. She is just in awe of what God has done with my father's life. But she challenged him at a time where he was actually going around quoting scriptures and didn't know nothing about the scriptures he was quoting, nor was he a, a believer. He had never really given his life to Christ. And so she challenged him and said, you, you don't know your Bible, do you? He's like, well, yes, I do. <laughs> she said, well, well, let, let, let's really see how much you know God's word. And so she had given him a challenge to memorize several scriptures. And in the process of that, the word of God had so wrecked his heart that he surrendered his life to the Lord through that experience. And then she went on to disciple him and not only discipled him, he became one of the Bible teachers on his campus and just began to reveal, you know, that he had this powerful gift of preaching and teaching. And so she saw that gift on him and she said, I think you need to go to seminary. So she took him on a tour 
of other seminaries throughout the country. He had not even traveled that much, and he ended up being interested in and getting accepted to Dallas Theological Seminary, and he attended in 1976, where he was one of five African-American students in his class. He studied homiletics and theology. He got a master's in it, and he came out church planting and just ready to really apply all that he had learned into pastoral ministry. In addition to that, my mother's mother, my grandmother, Eva Jo Dorsey, who is 90 years old, she is still alive, kicking and and praying up a storm out there in Dallas, Texas. And she had a heart to want to serve in missions My grandmother is so sold out for Christ. She's an intercessor. She has a heart for the nations. Always wanted to go to Africa, never had the opportunity to do it. And so she did live missionally on a local level. And so that was really powerful. She got to minister to women in prison for years. She tutored children and discipled them in her home, helped them to become better students and more obedient children. So she's always been in ministry and her prayers to go to the nations were answered through me. I had no idea that one day the Lord would speak clearly to me that he wanted me to go to the nations. He would give me a passion for the lost, a passion for the vulnerable and the marginalized and those who don't know Christ. And not only that, those who are part of the body of Christ, who are completely disconnected from the mandate that God has given us to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel to all peoples. And so her prayers were literally have are being lived out through my life. And for a certain time, my father's a pastor now, he's been pastoring for over 40 years, but there was a certain point in his ministry where he was an associate minister at our home church in Philadelphia, Christian Stronghold Church. That church Again, a series of anomalies was in the center of one of the poorest sections of Philadelphia in West Philly. It had such a heavily missional culture. The church is situated in an urban context, thousands of members, and they're sending out missionaries to all parts of the world, Papua New Guinea, Egypt, Liberia, Mexico, Guatemala, And so I was exposed heavily to missions before I gave God my yes to go. And then years later, I ended up on a study abroad trip in Ecuador, South America, where I had an experience with the Lord as I was in a hostel, just experiencing the culture and the issues and challenges, the socioeconomic challenges there, the spiritual challenges. And I had an encounter with God that said, Lord, There's more. There is more that you're calling me to. I don't know what it is. I don't have the specifics laid out or understood, but I believe this is what you are doing. You're compelling me to do something. Would you speak, Lord? And so it wasn't until that moment that I realized that God was wrecking my heart for the nations, that there were there were millions of people who were living and dying apart from a relationship with Christ. And then 10 years later, I ended up on the other side of the equator in Kenya, East Africa, serving on my very first official short-term missions trip. Now, 
that is just the foundation of all that took place. And so I end up in Kenya. I'm serving with this short-term missions team out of my, my family's home church. And God is just blowing my mind the entire time. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, there's so many things that the church and those who are unchurched stand in need of. And so my heart was wrecked, of course, for the evangelistic needs that people need to know about Christ. That was one thing. My heart was wrecked for the need for mobilization, the fact that there are so many in the church who don't even understand what the Great Commission is, let alone being obedient to it. There's a need for mobilization and equipping for the, a church who doesn't understand that our identity as the ecclesia, the called out ones, are to finish the mission that God mandated his disciples to fulfill when he ascended. And so I, I said, Lord, I want to be part of this mission, not only telling people about you, but I want to get the church on mission with you. Hmm because it is so critical. And so there was evangelism, there was mobilization, there was bridging a generational gap because we were going and serving on the mission field. And I had been, I had gone after that one year, I had gone consecutively because I felt called to this place, which is a whole nother conversation about missions and impact. But I just saw this generational gap where most of the missionaries were twice my age. And so I clearly saw that responsibility to carry on the mantle that we have been called to, 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 to accept and to, you know, take on that responsibility. And so that was really all drawing me and compelling me all at the same time. And then I get to encounter a community of marginalized young women who had been displaced after political clashes in tribal war in Kenya that took place in 2007, 2008. When I went in 2013, that several years later, these, these Kenyans were not only displaced, they were living like refugees in their own country. And they still were without homes and running water five years later. And so I saw a great need there that burdened my heart so deeply, so deeply. And so I asked God, what, what would you have me to do? There was a community of girls there, at least 120 of them, that the leaders of that community said, listen, these girls are more vulnerable for their displacement than not being displaced. They're more vulnerable to sexual exploitation, early childhood marriage, and all kinds of other issues, rape, and all these kinds of things because of them being displaced and living in abject poverty. If you can help provide just basic necessities for them, to answer the need for the period poverty crisis that is facing several nations and young women, including this one. If you can provide these menstrual hygiene products for these young girls, that would be transformational. And indeed it was. So we responded in, in kind uh, team that I had led. We started an initiative that would provide these products for these girls. And then that grew into an actual organization and nonprofit that was developed and fueled to disciple and empower girl survivors of tribal war, marginalized girls, and refugee girls to become leaders who will change their nation and the world. And so that's why we decided to name it She Saves a Nation. 
Uh, from the example of Esther through her obedience, her, her surrender, her bold courage, and her fidelity to her God, she saved a generation. And so we believe that our girls can have that same power by being equipped by what God is doing. And then in the process of all of that, I went into full-time ministry and that was how I became introduced to the work of Bible translation, which is a key component of great commission fulfillment. A lot of times people think I'm telling folks about God and I'm fulfilling the great commission, which is absolutely true. But there are so many components that are that play a part in us finishing the task that is before us. And that also is represented here in this major issue that there are at least a billion people who are still without a translation of scripture in their heart language. And so Seed Company, the organization that I work for, I serve as the global manager of prayer mobilization for them. We mobilize a catalytic movement of global prayer for all of those who remain without the scriptures in their heart language. And so we're looking to encourage the church to get a greater understanding of the needs of those who are without God's word. How can you do missions and discipleship if people don't have the, the, the written word or the word in a format that they can interpret and understand to know that God loves them, to know that God died for them. And so in order to equip them to do that, they need the scriptures. And so that's why our organization and several others exist to propel the message of Jesus Christ uh, in, throughout every corner of the world. My goodness. One of the reasons that I just love talking to you and hearing you talk is that it truly does challenge me to take the limitations off of God. From the very first moments that you began to speak and how you talked about generational obedience, I was convicted yeah. in my heart by how I view obedience and how I even become a little, you know, self-centered and think about what it's going to do for my life. But when we are obedient, it blesses generations and we may never see the fruit even, you know, as we would like in our own lives, as you mentioned from your grandma. But that that fruit is going to just grow and grow. And my goodness, it is absolutely beautiful to hear you talk about just the legacy that you have been born into and the work that you have said yes to. And so yeah. I want to thank you. Absolutely. Let me just encourage every viewer and listener. One of the things that I try to really, really drive home for those who professed Christ and are disciples of Jesus Christ, it is important that we understand that we are, we're complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. But apart from connecting to the mission of God in this life that we have been given, we remain unfinished because we are not joining in the task that God has set forth for every disciple to participate in. And so I encourage people by saying, at some point in your Christian walk, as you're growing closer to God, if you're studying his word, you're learning more about his character, you're learning more about his heart, you are going to come face 
to face with what breaks the heart of God. And that is your invitation into his mission. And so our responsibility is to respond to that invitation by participating in it. As we talk about as fellow Bible teachers, the importance of biblical application and interpretation, I always, you know, just really articulate the fact that when we study the Bible, <laughs> we learn more about the fact that the Bible is a book about God. That is an accurate interpretation of, of biblical hermeneutics, you know, interpreting the scriptures, every verse, every uh, chapter, every book points to the God that we serve, who sought to redeem us, who came to save us and is coming back to reign. And so, but the fullest interpretation is God and his mission. That's also woven from Genesis to Revelation is woven throughout every part of the scripture. And the devastating part is that many believers can live and die and never ever tap in to this mission that God has called us to. And so that generational obedience even from when Abram was called out to go to a place that he did not know, he was participating in God's redemptive work among the nations to become the father of many nations so that God could redeem them. And so this is something that my prayer as people are listening, that they are able to surrender to the fullness of God's plan for his disciples. There's no need to really, you know, search deeply or wander, you know, in this spiritual life about what our purpose is. Somewhere on the scope of God's mission for his people, you'll find your specific assignment because his desire is to redeem all peoples to himself, that people would know him. And there are still many that don't know him at all, that haven't been evangelized, that don't have a gospel presence in their nation, in their region among their people group. And so we have an opportunity to take part in that. And so we can ourselves become those who would be conduits of generational obedience as we surrender ourselves fully, not just to God as the one who saved us, not just to God as the one who gives us this magnificent word that is our treasure, that we desire more than our necessary food, but we surrender to him fully that we will participate, that we would get out of our comfort zones and that we would say yes to what his assignment is that his church should fulfill in the earth. Yes, yes, and amen. Oh my goodness, that Abrahamic covenant that the Lord made with him yeah. is just one of yeah. restoration. And that's what mission work does and missional living. It just restores people back into relationship with him. You know, you mentioned that when you went to Kenya, you noticed there was such an age gap between the generations that were serving as missionaries and then yourself. And I was even reading some recent statistics that I hope and plan to drop below about the age of pastors now and how there are very few pastors under the age of 40 in comparison to what we've seen in past generations now. And it just speaks um. to 
how few people are accepting, you know, that invitation, which you spoke about to just step into the work of Christ as he breaks your heart for what breaks his. And I want to ask you, you know, what type of spiritual warfare have you observed or encountered that you believe is interfering with our ability to worship God and step into this missional living? Oh, my sister, what a great question. Oh, that's a powerful question because there's much spiritual warfare that's happening. You know, when we think about living lives of worship, I'm, I'm, I'm often pointed back to Romans 12, 1 and 2 to be a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable. But I'm always compelled to pray for a deeper posture of worship that will reflect a position of ongoing surrender and helplessness. You know, we, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it's him that lives in us. And so worship at its core is surrender. Worship at its core is reverence, it's adoration, it's ascribing worth to a holy God, to a perfect God. And, and reverence is what the prophet Isaiah experienced in Isaiah 6 after King Uzziah died. He, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And it was in that moment that he recognizes the very holiness and splendor of God that he was able to see himself rightly. He was able to see himself as he truly is in all of his uh, frailty and brokenness. And so the only way we can truly see ourselves is by making that assessment in light of who God is. And so the trouble in our culture right now in terms of spiritual warfare today, it's not new in a sense, but it's certainly nuanced and it's far more pronounced today. And that is that the worship has of God, the, the worship of God has been replaced by the worship of self. <laughs> Yikes. So theology has been replaced by a meology mm. where individuals base their, their decisions, their agendas, their truth. All of that has taken precedence over the preeminence of God over the preeminence of Christ, all while professing Christ at the same time. And that's why I'm saying it's it's spiritual warfare because you have a lot of people who are deceived. They think that they're walking in the will of God. They think that they are living as vessels being used by God, when in actuality, they are worshiping themselves and their ideologies that they have exalted above the person and character of God. God tells us that if we love him, then we'll keep his commandments. The, the, the defining factor of our love for God is by being obedient to the things that he tells us to do. And so our, our worship is restricted when, the, when God has been dethroned from our hearts. And so there has to be this posture of repentance, the posture that understands that we are unclean apart from being purged and, and washed by the, the blood of Jesus and being regenerated by him day by day as we repent of our sins. And we're able to look at ourselves and say, God, what I did was ugly. I, I'm not all that I say that I am. And we're in a culture where we feel this need to edify ourselves 
so that God can be lifted. No, no, no. He says that if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto me. And so there's great spiritual warfare happening right now because we need to get out of the way and allow God to be God so that he can get the reverence that he is due. And so genuine worship, my sister, it happens when we lay down our idols and we take up our cross. Mm. Mm. Genuine worship happens when we lay down our idols and take up our cross. And I just appreciate all that you have shared there. My goodness, it's not new, but it is nuanced. And so we have a mission to lay down our lives. And you may not be called to be a pastor, but that is okay. It doesn't excuse you from missional living and engaging with others. And so, you know, Kanita, I recently heard you in another podcast and you shared how the moral failures within the American church have required evangelism to grow more relational. Can you speak on the importance of relationship and how we can steward those opportunities for the glory of God, even if we're not called to be a worship leader or a pastor and speak from a large pulpit? Our conversation will be back in just a moment, but for right now, I wanna ask, are you the creative, the queen, or the conqueror? Could you be all three? I want to invite you to head over to liveduly.com and take the Confident Collaborations Quiz. Together, we are going to walk in our calling more confidently than ever before and engage in kingdom collaborations. This two-minute quiz will help you identify your strengths and even a few areas of growth to help you be everything that God designed you to be. It's at livedooly.com slash quiz, and you can find the link in the description below. Absolutely. You know, let me tell you just a little context about my upbringing. So because I was a PK, you know, my father would take us out evangelizing door to door. Okay. We were knocking on doors and telling folk about Jesus. And that was my first experience as a teenager, you know, letting people know who God was. And then, you know, I would have these just seemingly spontaneous encounters that were really divinely orchestrated by God, where I would encounter somebody, whether it would be on the train and you probably had it. We've talked about this, even at our writer's retreat, it was so much fun. So much fun. Yes. yes. (laughs) Just these spontaneous encounters that would happen where people would be at these vulnerable positions in life. (laughs) And I would have the opportunity to share the gospel with them and they would receive Christ right away. They would accept Jesus in that very moment. What I've noticed over decades, that there has been a shift in the view of the church, what a Christian is and who believers are, and most importantly, who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes when people talk about Jesus, my question is, what Jesus are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Because that has shifted over time. And now Jesus, who is the gospel, has to be explained at a deeper level. It has to be explained in a way 
that people can actually see it lived out through a place of consistency. And so how can we get a relevant example of how to do this relationally? It's by looking at Jesus. He was the quintessential missionary. He was the mission of God in the flesh. And so, you know, it talks about how, you know, in John chapter one and how he became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. He dwelt among us. And so Jesus himself was very intentional about being among the people that they might experience him and that he would set up these divine encounters that people could understand that they were in the presence of the Messiah and that they could to be set free and be satisfied because they can accept him. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way we have to do that now. Even throughout Jesus's ministry, we see that he he preached to many. Mm -hmm. He preached to many, but he discipled a few. Mm -hmm. And so he invested in the few. And so we have to take on that similar model where one, we're always ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is within us with fear and trembling. And so if we have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, by all means, as the Holy Spirit is leading, do that. But we have an even greater responsibility and privilege. And that's inviting people into our lives, allowing people to sit at our table, allowing people not to feel like the culture makes people feel, like there's a hierarchy of importance based on who you are, who you know, how many followers you have. You know, my heart was just wrecked as I was looking at this, this jury, you know, the sentencing of mass murderer in the Parkland shooting. And one of the things, there's so many different elements to, to, to who he is and complexities to that. But one of the things that he did say that he justified murdering so many people is because nobody loved him. Mm. Nobody loved him. Mm. And so he used that as a justifying you know, reason to go and take the lives of other people on Valentine's Day, a day where people are celebrating love. Mm -hmm. To take that from others because he didn't experience that. And that's an extreme case, of course. But when we talk about inviting people in, we want to love people and allow them to experience the very love of Jesus through our lives. That's the fundamental requirement. As a believer and as a witness, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. The Lord tells us that we ought to love him with all of our minds, our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. And then we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so if we're living a life that invites other people in, that dwells among others, then we can be effective witnesses relationally and in a better position to show off the radiance of the church the radiance of the bride of Christ that has been in some instances tarnished from an outsider's perspective Mm -hmm. by several moral, countless moral failures and, and things of that nature. And so we need to give people real experience, a real encounter of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I've had these opportunities in my life and am able to see that up close and personal. And so we either plant seeds, you know, and God does the watering, or we have the opportunity to actually lead people to Jesus. But I would say, don't be closed off, be obedient to opening up your life, (laughs) being an epistle read of men, 
that you might allow people to experience everyday life with you, doing life together and, and walking alongside them prayerfully as you pray for their salvation, you are doing life with them and pouring, pouring life into them through the word of God but you're building relationship with them that you're not seeing them as a project. You're seeing them as a person. <laughs> and so that's been a harmful component as well of evangelism where we're, we're doing too much proselytizing and we're not allowing people to just genuinely be, you know, encounter us through relationship because we genuinely love them, mm. not because we're trying to convert them. They're not a project. They're a person. And so if we take on that posture, then we'll see more fruit of God transforming the heart of people because that's the same way God matures and sanctifies us. We came to know him. We accepted him in our hearts. We're walking with him, but God knows we're not the same that we were last year that we are this year. God's been working on us. He's been patient with us. He's been ministering to our hearts and he's been using those around us, the body of Christ to produce and refine and to, to bring about that sanctifying work. And so that very thing, that very labor of love, we need to do for those who don't know Jesus and be willing to do that. And too often, as we talk about taking up our cross, that's part of that. That's not always pretty. Sometimes that involves rejection. Sometimes that involves humiliation. Sometimes it involves being called a hypocrite or a church person or, you know, whatever this stuff they call us, you know, a holy roller, whatever, you yeah. know, everything under the sun. But we have to know that we are committed. Yeah. We are committed to seeing people get to a place where they want to say yes to Jesus as God is using us. And so my prayer is that we would commit to, to investing in relational evangelism, because that's the way not only people come to Christ, but it's the way they remain, mm -hmm. remain connected to the body of Christ and they can mature. They can come into the fullness of who God has called them to be reaching their full potential in Christ because it's done in community. Mm -hmm. And so I'm praying for that. Yeah. 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 relational evangelism is not only the way people come in, but it's the way they remain committed. Yes, yes. And, you know, as you spoke about, you know, the many things that we may go through, we are going to be challenged to continue to love those who do not love us. We have a few practicing Wiccans at the school that I teach at and yeah. You know, I see how they influence the children and it breaks my heart. But every time I pass them, I say, hello, I try to speak, even if they ignore me, because the Lord always reminds me that even the tax collectors love those who love them. And we yeah. have to rise above that and be yeah. those that will love those who are, you know, disregarding the love that we show for them. Because even if they are not picking it up, which I pray that they do, there's somebody else that's watching. There's somebody else that's listening. There's somebody else that is observing what our interactions are like. And if I really am, you know, consistent between what I say and what I do. And so I thank you for that teaching. Absolutely. My goodness, my goodness.
You know, you have done so much good work for the Lord. You continue to do it. And I just pray for you, sis. I'm so excited about what he is doing in you and in your life. And one of the things that just captivates my attention as you talk about everything that he's doing in your life is the love that you have for this work and how you actually met your husband in all of it because yeah. <laughs> this story <laughs> is so hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> that you were just content, just satisfied. And, yeah. you know, I just want to ask you to share a little bit about your story and how you and your husband met and I want to ask if you can encourage that sister who has been hesitant to step into the work of the Lord, possibly because she's fearful, you know, that she may miss her moment. She mm. may miss her encounter to, you know, fall in love or to date and to enjoy relationship. You know, can you just just tell tell the sisters about what the Lord did. And yes, many, many moons ago, you know, I just had come to a place in my walk with the Lord that I was committed to fulfilling the calling that he had for me. Why was that? Because that's what I have to stand before him and give an account for. What did he call me to do? What did he require me to do in this life? I need to be fully obedient to that mandate. And so my focus on marriage or a relationship in no, in no way supersede the calling that God has placed on my life. And if I'm being obedient to that call, then every provision, every partner, every relationship that is connected to that call God will bring. And that's exactly what he did in my life. And so when I made that sacrifice, I knew God and I, and I gave my yes to Jesus. I knew that he was calling me to the nations. And so my first trip to, to Kenya was in 2013. A week before we left, there was one of the most horrific and deadly terrorist attacks that they had on Christians. And I had many people who loved me, who were highly, you know, concerned and encouraging me not to go. But I heard the voice of the Lord clearly say that I belonged in Kenya at that specific time. And so we went, we were not in any harm's way as far as we knew. And that was the year that changed everything. The trajectory of my entire life shifted. When I was praying for a husband, I also heard God say, as I was praying to him, that my husband was going to be on the other side of my comfort, that I was going to have to overcome many personal and spiritual hurdles and get to a place of maturity that would prepare me to become a wife. And so I had no idea that I would have been on the continent of Africa at least seven times before I got married. When the first time, you know, I was fearful for my life and my safety, I had to trust God with that. I had to trust the lover of my soul, the one who was already meeting my deepest love needs. And so I met my husband living on mission. Mm -hmm. I didn't meet my husband waiting for a husband. <laughs> I met him 
living on mission. And so seven years prior to him connecting with me in a conversation that would change everything, I was singing and touring with a group. I was singing in Detroit and he introduced himself to me after that gospel concert and that tour that we were part of. And so it wasn't until seven years later that God put me on his heart to reach out to me after kind of following my life on Facebook for, for many years. And so he reached out to me. And after that conversation that we had in March of 2021, we were married within six months. <laughs> and it was a beautiful wedding. We weren't friends, but honey, the pictures are all over the internet. Oh my god. Even crazy. Can I tell you something? I was looking for your website and I did not go through my email. I just Googled you because Googling was easier. I was just, I didn't feel like my email. Girl, Kanita Retley age popped up. Like people have been trying to figure out how old you are. Oh but yes, it's yes. so hilarious. Oh my <laughs> goodness. And it's so funny it, that that took that took on a whole new meaning as well, because for so long I've been Kanita Benson, Kanita Benson, and everybody's known me as that. And, you know, and then now this new identity as a wife and it has just been so just absolutely transformational. And it's been just the evidence of what God does when he writes the love story. I waited patiently and everything that I'm experiencing now is well worth the wait. So I want to encourage my sisters who are viewing and watching is get on mission with God. Be obedient to what he's calling you to do right now, because whomever he has for you, whomever he is preparing for you will be in line with that assignment. And he's sovereign and providential. And so he knows how to bring what you need when you need it. But the important thing is that every act of obedience in your single life is a benefit to your husband. And so you're not just living for yourself. Even now you're living for that husband that you will one day have if it's God's will for you to be married. And so allow God to meet your deepest love needs and get fully invested fully committed to, passionate about, and, and with reckless abandon, pursue God with everything that you have and everything that you are, because he is the one that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, both in and outside of marriage. And so that's my prayer for all of you, that you would experience him in such a way that your life would be full and that your husband would be the icing on the cake. And that can happen for you. It happened for me after waiting for 20 years and it was well worth the wait. My goodness, my goodness. That is just so beautiful. And y'all, if you want to know more, make sure that you click below in the show notes. I'm gonna put just a couple of resources where you can find Kanita and other appearances and podcasts that she has also been on with her husband. And I know it will bless you. I know it will bless you. So thank you so very much. Can you please tell us, you know, what you have going on? what you have coming up, where we can find you. Just tell us all the things. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I can't tell you how much of an honor this was and how grateful I am to be connected to you, my sister, and just so committed to supporting you and pouring into you 
in whichever way God leads. I'm just so grateful. But there's much to come, primarily focused on continuing to cultivate this family. We are a blended family and we're trying to expand our family as well. And so y'all can be praying for us in that area. But I will be speaking in 2023. Whew, it's like right around the corner. It is. There are some several events that I'll be speaking for, women's conferences, missional gatherings, podcast interviews. There's a, a slew of things coming up. And so I'll keep you posted. The desire is that, or the prayer is that my new website will be up soon. That's going to be kanitarutley.com. That's the work for that is, is underway. And so, but for now, you can follow me on all my handles at Kanita Rutley. You can also follow my organization, She Saves a Nation. It's at shesavesanation.org. And she saves a nation on all social media platforms. We could really use your support right now. We are hosting a fundraiser stemming from International Day of the Girl because our region in Kenya is experiencing, and Uganda, all throughout the Horn of Africa, they're experiencing devastating famine and drought. Mm. Many of our girls are longing for nourishment and food. And so any support that you can provide. It does not matter what it is. It could be a dollar, $5. It doesn't matter. All support is tremendous to fulfilling our mission and helping our girls to thrive. And so definitely be on the lookout for that. And then follow my page because there's a lot more content that's going to be coming to equip you to live biblically and missionally. And it's also going to equip you to understand more about the Great Commission and how you can pray with us to get all the languages in the world translated until we are at zero languages without scripture. So join me on the journey. I'm so excited for you all to join me. We are excited as well. And I am going to be praying for you on all of those endeavors, as well as our girls in Kenya, for sure. Our families in Kenya. Um, my goodness. Can I ask you a few secrets before we head out? Of course. <laughs> They're not secrets. They're never secrets. They could be, I suppose. Uh, you know, this culture is just so fast paced. I want to ask is there anything that you do to help you remember to slow down any affirmations you surround yourself with any rhythms that you incorporate into your life anything that just helps you to remember to slow down oh that's such a great question because that was something that i had to really learn you know to really walk in these beautiful rhythms of grace that god has given us i've learned to find my place uh, and to prioritize being at the feet of Jesus. That is the greatest place of, of, of peace and, and comfort and clarity, <laughs> which many of us are longing for, but we rather look for it in a mean than from the voice and presence of God himself. And so Lord help us. <laughs> Lord help us. So yes, for me, I have learned to really enjoy and practice the presence of God apart from the crowds to come away. That's really kind of been, I've been trying to really just follow the ways of Jesus and how he would come away to pray and, and be alone with the Lord. And I'm actually grateful that I was able to move to Michigan when I got married to my husband, because we live in an area where there's just so much peace. Peace. 
mm-hmm. and we're surrounded by green. Mm-hmm. And that's something I love. I think uh, greenery is a representation of life, which mm-hmm. connects to the word of God, which is alive and active. And so I allow the peace, the the, the tranquility of nature, the things that God has built in and has given us to really minister to my soul in a fast paced world. One thing that one of my dear sisters in Christ, she is the president of National Day of Prayer and she was my former boss, love her dearly. She said, you have to learn to move at the speed of Christ. Mm. And that the kingdom moves at the speed of Christ. Mm. And so we're following his direction then we'll find that much of our energy is being expended on things he may not have ever called us to. And so, you know, I understand that there's been this growing phenomenon of self-care and looking after yourself and all those things. But I believe that God, from the very beginning, when he created the earth, he built into a divine framework, Sabbath, that if we were to honor the design and divine framework that he already put in place for us, you know, rather than us who we have taken on the posture of a performance culture and a culture that strives to do more than less to do rather than to be, then we will become stressed and anxious and be experiencing things that God never intended for his children. Mm-hmm. I am a former anxiety sufferer. I had severe depression in my early 20s. And I had to be humbled by the fact that I had to surrender to what God was actually calling me to and what he wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, Sundays were were about performance and service and duty and not Sabbath. And so when I learned that, that revolutionized my life. And then I could fully be released to what God had actually called me to do. (laughs) And so I would say, you know, I have leaned on the fundamentals of what God has put in place for us as his children to enter into his rest, to experience him and to rest when he tells us to rest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kingdom moves at the speed of Christ. Oh my goodness. Is there anything? Oh my goodness. It's so good. (laughs) I'm just going to replay this podcast episode a couple of times for my own benefit. (laughs) Is there anything you're reading, anything you're recommending that we read at this time? Oh, my goodness. So I'm in a doctoral program. Okay. So let me just preface this by saying. (laughs) Before the list comes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it's harder for me now. I love reading. Mm -hmm. I love reading and I'm I, I'm a heavy reader on books about mission, mm-hmm. books about discipleship and evangelism, books about women's ministry and discipleship. And so, yeah, I, but because I'm in my doctoral program, all I'm reading now is, <laughs> you know, scholarly journals and articles and things of that nature. And so right now, though, one of the things that's really I I kind of went back to is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His life, I think, you know, when we talk about this fast paced culture that we are living in right now in a culture that oftentimes is not really focused on 
living the crucified life. Mm-hmm. There, it, that has that has a look that has, you know, that has an identity. It has a profile. Mm-hmm. I want to live the crucified life, mm-hmm. not a life that I have curated to make myself believe that this is a life that honors God. I want to do it according to the scriptures. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite theologians, favorite missiologists who really will center you and get you all the way together. You know, when we talk about the folks that really, you know, laid down their lives and took up their cross and he died at 39 for, you know, proclaiming he was hung you know, because he was proclaiming the truth of the gospel and resisting, you know, the Nazi movement and really vocally speaking out about that. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer is just like a a book that I've really been kind of centering uh, my attention on right now. Yeah. But other than that, it's it's schoolwork, girlfriend. Yes, and we definitely understand that. I can't wait to read that myself. I have not read that one. And so that sounds just fascinating. Oh, y'all, 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 the bombs that she's just been dropping. Are you living a crucified <laughs> life or a curated life? I mean. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. Yeah, I'm gonna is. put the whole the whole episode in the intro because they're just all Girl, sound bites. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Will you will you pray us out? I know that you've got to get back to that husband of yours and those beautiful girls, so I can talk. Absolutely, <laughs> Oh, absolutely. So God, we bless you. Yes, and we honor you. We thank you, God, that you are the one true and living God. And Father, in this moment, as we reflect on what it means to genuinely be your disciple, I pray, God, that you would give us hearts of surrender. I pray, God, that we would indeed take on a Galatians 2.20 posture, Lord, that our lives would be crucified with you, that it's no longer ourselves, our identities, our desires, our wants, our agendas, our priorities and goals, Lord, but it would be you who would be raised up in us that this dying world would know that you live and that you reign. Father, I bless you for every woman under the sound of my voice who is searching out what it means to live on mission, who is searching out what it means to really sink her heels deeply into what it means to walk as a disciple, to walk the narrow road. God, I pray that you would give her boldness, Lord, that you would calm her fears and allow her to feel an expectant hope for your coming. And Lord, that she plays an integral part in rallying those who don't know you and believers who do toward this expected end. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for my sister Liv. I thank you for the vision that you've given her, the passion that you have just poured into her. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to release great things from her ministry. Lord, I pray, God, that she would continue to just follow your leading and guiding and that she would find her most sacred position at your feet. 
Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our midst. God, I pray that following this conversation that you would ignite a hope in every woman who is listening and viewing. God, I pray that they would run after you like never before and that they would want to live their lives out on mission until all have heard. And Lord, we will be ever so careful to thank you, to praise you, and continue to live boldly for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. <sighs> that just blessed my soul. And I pray that you can say the same after this conversation. If that's the case, would you be so kind as to head over to Apple Podcasts or Audible and leave a rating and review? It would truly support this podcast and let the guests know that you value their time. I know I do. Now, in between our time here on the podcast, I do want to let you know that I am at Candid Live on Instagram and at Live Duly on YouTube. It would be an honor to do life with you. I look forward to the next time. Love you. Thank you.